0: This morning's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 4 1 through 12 and 16 through 18. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks Seated. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, you can drop the mic. There, that's good. Uh, drop the mic. That's, that was not intentional, but that's a good scripture. You can drop the mic after that scripture. Uh, well, yeah, good morning. My name is Tim, and uh, I also serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to have you with us uh, this, this morning, and uh, we're continuing a series we are, we've been calling church for Monday, which is basically the idea that we believe that following Jesus is something you do in, in the real world. Right? Monday, whatever, wherever you're going to be tomorrow, we feel like Jesus is the most relevant thing for whatever that is. And he wants to speak deeply into how you live that out. And so the first three weeks, we've really been at kind of the starting place of the Christian life, which is the cross, the yoke, like that's that's where you start in life with, with Jesus. And the next two weeks, we think if, if you're gonna follow Jesus well in this world on Monday, you have to like you have to know the story of the scriptures really well, and you have to be deeply integrated into a, a local community of faith, a church. The importance of the local church. And that might like that might sound boring, uh, but it's not, because I think the two the two most uh, common dangers the Bible continually speaks to us about what will derail our lives, about what's wrong with us, about why we, why we fight with each other on Twitter so much, about what's gone wrong with us in this, this world. The two things that come up continually in the Scriptures that will pull you away from following Jesus, or if you're not a Christian, it's like, just pull you away from a good life. The two things are our lies that you'll believe things that are not true, and you'll build your life on that, and isolation, that we make our worst mistakes when we get alone. And, and Jesus, in, in following him, the two antidotes to, to believing things that are not true and to a life of isolation is the scriptures and the local church. So this morning, we're going to talk about the Bible, the scriptures, and why it's why it's central to following Jesus. And here's my basic idea for this morning what we're gonna unpack this morning, and that's this: it's that your life is either built on a true story, like true, like, like reality as it actually is, or we're building our lives on a false story story. Tomorrow when you wake up and you live into whatever it is God has for you, you're either going to live based on things that are not true or things that are are true. And the way Paul breaks that down, those two options, the way he breaks those two options down, is you're either going to live yourself or you're going to live Jesus. Right? He says we preach not ourselves, but Christ crucified. And so I want to think about that in three ways. This is what I want to break down thinking through. Either you build your life on what's true or what's false. Um, three ways we're going to think about that this morning. The first is the greatest dif- disinformation campaign ever. Second is the cost of believing a false story, the cost of when you and I build our lives on things that are not true, their costs, what those costs are. And then thirdly and finally, the glory of living the true story. So the greatest dif- disinformation campaign ever, the cost of living a false story, and the glory of living a true story. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump into this text together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we probably all come in with uh, just a lot, and so, like this, we just pause for a minute because Jesus uh, has made clear that your word is truth, and so we open your word to encounter truth, and we just, God, whatever's true, show it to us, reveal it to us. Slow our hearts. We're probably all going to have things we we are going to maybe be defensive of in the moment or push back against you, but God, slow our hearts and open ourselves up to whatever is true. We ask this in in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's probably one verse that Laura read for us that we need the most help with, which is verse 4, and and Paul, he he says this, he says, uh, in their case, and he's talking about people who don't believe the gospel, um, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, blinded the minds, blinded their minds. Um, this, is a, this is a very controversial verse in the Christian tradition, and I don't want to go into all the intricate theolo- theology that's, that's come out of that. I want, to, I want to keep focus on what Paul is saying, which is clear here, which is that first, Paul says there is, there is a God of this world. And the Bible uses a lot of terms for this being, this, this, uh, this person, and that is it's the accuser, it's the Satan, it's the devil, it's the serpent. And listen, that's hard for us to believe. A lot of us, you know, supernatural stuff gets strange. But but just go with me for a minute because I think actually this won't be as unbelievable in a few few minutes. Um, And and when Jesus lived, he talked about this being. And in John 8, he talked about a devil, a, a, a serpent, this being that Paul's talking about. And in John 8, here's what he has to say about this character. This is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to religious people he's having a serious disagreement with. Jesus says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now that tracks with what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 4, which is that this God of the world veils people from seeing the gospel, from seeing what is true, and gets them to live into a story, into a life that fails them from the light and the beauty and the power of the gospel. And what, what the Bible says pretty consistently is that this supernatural being, whoever, whatever he is, one, he, like the prime design he has in life is to get us to believe things that are not true. He's, the, he's a liar. He's the father of, of all lies. So that's the first thing is there's this God of this world who wants to lie to us and convince us to believe things and live things that are not true. The second thing that's pretty clear from 2 Corinthians 4, again, I, there's lots of all kinds of theology written out of that verse, but I want to stay on the main stuff. So there's a God of this world, one, and second, he is, he is successful, this being, at his disinformation campaign. And this isn't to misunderstand. It's not to think, uh, you know, when we think of the devil, we think of, like, this little red pitchfork character who wants us to eat an extra piece of chocolate. Um, or to, uh, when we talk about lies, we're probably thinking, like, he wants us to believe outlandish things, right? Like, the devil comes to us and says, Elvis is, tr- is alive. Believe it. It's true, right? Like that, but that's not what he's doing. Like, it's not, it's not outlandish stuff. He's, he's better at lying than, uh, than that. And, and he's sophisticated. He's smart. And so I want to illustrate the way, uh, I'm going to take a chance here, the way the devil uh, lies to us with something that this was just a live example in our culture over the last week, week and a half. And so uh, so take a look at this photo. Um, all right? oh boy, here we go. Uh, that if you came in happy this morning, I'm sorry, I'm about to ruin that um, for you. But this, this photo actually represents something that's beginning to happen in our society and our culture, which is uh, there are these troll farms and these social media factories that have like intentionally put out particular narratives or stories or uh, um, information to try to stir up fighting or discontent, and it worked, right? And what, what happened, and I don't want to litigate this photo at all, um, but it's a perfect exa- example of how disinformation works, which is that someone posts a photo or a video, and then they attach a narrative to that, a, a story behind that, and they push that with a with hope, which is to tap into the deeply held beliefs that you and I have, and what they'll do is that once they've tapped into those beliefs, they inflame those things, they push us into extremes and cause us to fight with, with one another. And so what they do is they take something that's 98% true, right? We have, it's a photograph. Look, it's true. And then what they do is they, they say 2% lie, right? It's 98% true, 2% falsehood. And they push that out into the world, and we go to war with one another. And it's, like, it's working, I mean, social media has become a deeply divisive place because there are people who understand that part of us of human nature. So the story of the Bible would say like the, the, the supernatural evil that's trying to get us to believe lies it has the same strategy, which is right, Satan doesn't come and tell you Elvis is alive because it's mean, ridiculous, right? But, but what he'll do is he'll tell you something 98% true let you let you get you know excited about that lean into whatever your, your partisan narrative is and then the 2% false you ignore and you're at, you're even though you're living out of something that's 98% true it's actually false it's not true and that's what makes that's what makes his schemes so dangerous right He's, there's not a bunch of people who believe Elvis is alive there's a bunch of people who who have en- embraced their entire narrative as a political identity right or their entire narrative as as, as anything other than Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But for a moment, I just want to, I want to pause and say, okay, what do we do about this? If there's a supernatural being who, like, whose intent is to push out false things and get us to build our lives around that, and, and I think Twitter over the last week shows it's working with us, right? Our culture is tearing apart at the seams over this stuff. It's working. Um, and so what do we do about this? And, and Paul's answer to that is in verse 2. Here's how he operates in his life. He says, uh, you know, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning. Right? So my ministry, it's truthful. There's nothing, there's nothing hidden here, Paul says. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the side of God. And that phrase, what I want to talk about is he says, we refuse to tamper with God's word that Paul looks at the scriptures with a, a seriousness. And the antidote to a false story, to things that are not true, is the true story and a reverence of that true story. And what we want to say is if you're going to follow Jesus in your life in Monday in the real world, because you're going to have tons of competing narratives to live out of tomorrow when you, when you wake up, we're, like you, this is the story you need to live out of. And to live out of this story, you have to have this approach. I'm not going to tamper with it, right? This story is independent of me, I'm making it mine, Right, but it's the true story, and I recognize it, there are so many ways I could make it false, or I could, I could tan, or I could move it around or change it to fit my own desires. Because either this story, the story of Christ crucified, will be your story, or you're, you will live out of, pol, out of a political narrative and then adopt this story into your political narrative when it's convenient. Right? Or you'll live your life out of an, an advertising campaign, which sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's, it works. We buy the stuff. And then we'll import the Bible into that, you know, into that lifestyle when we, when we deem it. And Paul says, no, we do, we do not tamper with the word of God. That is our story and we cannot change it, adjust it, or move it in any direction. And so that's really, if that's, if that's the antidote to the evil one's intention, the God of this world's intention towards us to get us to believe things that are not true, then that means it's going to be really important for us to know this story well. And so how well, like how well do you actually know this story? How carefully do you know this world, this story, this word and the story in this world? Because I think we, you know, just speaking, I'm going to speak real for a minute. I think we in the American church are easy prey for the God of this world's disinformation campaign for a couple of reasons. One is we actually don't know the Bible that well. Right? And so there was a study done recently that asked, you know, what's the primary reason that, uh, that you do the things that you don't want to do? Asked of Christians, right? What's the primary reason you don't do the thing that you, uh, that you, that you don't want to do? Right, and, and the answer the Bible gives is we have a sin nature, right? We have, we're irredeemably flawed apart from the work of Christ, and that's why we sin. And 1% of Christians answering that question answered, it's, my, it's sin, I'm a sinner. Right, like, a, like the most important part, maybe the most important part of the entire Bible storyline. People, like, Americans, just did not know. Or, you know, let's use, let's make this feel a little bit even worse to me, or maybe to you. Like, I bet how many of us could quote more from our favorite movie, TV show, whatever thing. You know, if we if we could list a, a number of quotes, would the Bible be the longer list, or you know, put in favorite Netflix show? Right? How like how well do you know? This story, because what we want to say this morning is not just do you know it like informationally, like are you living out of it? Do you know this story? And one of we don't know it very well. But another reason is there's an for some reason in the American church there's just like a, a pushback against any time someone would say, you know, I think that what that person's saying is isn't false, <laughs> right? They're teaching a false doctrine. And and this started for me when I was in campus ministry right out of, of Bible college. And a pastor that was really popular when I was a kid, and, and he was really popular um, among the students in our campus ministry, he wrote his first book. And in the book, he sort of just, like, went on this hypothetical, like, what if Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin and his mother Mary had a, you know, a hypothetical boyfriend named Larry and, you know, she accidentally got pregnant and then they just concocted a story and that's Jesus and that, this is, that's what happened. And I'm like, that's, like, blasphemous. Like, that, you should not, like, that's not cool. And I remember saying that to the people I was in campus ministry and they were like, chill out, dude. Like, this sounded... Who cares? like it's he's not really questioning jesus resurrection or it's not that and i'm like but the, but that's like a core do, like that's a core part of the story to matthew right who lived and died with jesus said you like the virgin birth matters and and what i what, what amazed me was not a pastor who wrote that stuff i mean people have been doing that for centuries what amazed me was the church was like eh, no big deal and so like false doctrines false stories false but they matter and it's not just because like if you believe wrong things, it'll cost you. That's point two. But because we, like, we refuse to tamper with God's word. This story is so important. It's not mine. I don't get to do with it what I want. It imposes itself on me, not the reverse. And I want to be clear, that doesn't mean we all need perfect theology or we all have to agree on everything. Uh, you know, what matters not is a tidy theology where we've worked out everything and we're all in complete agreement. What matters is the posture and Paul's posture of we refuse to tamper with God's word, a posture of humble pursuit. Right? We pursue the truth. We don't just listen to people who agree with us. And my hope is you you don't just listen to what I say and say, well, Tim's probably got it figured out. No, like we humbly pursue the truth of this story. We wrestle with it. We know it. We ask questions. We dig in. Not so that we know a bunch of stuff, right? Not so that you have a bunch of great information, but so that when tomorrow morning comes, when you live, you will live out of that story. Right? As Paul says, you will, tomorrow morning you will not preach yourself. I will not preach myself. I will preach Christ crucified. And the only way you get there is if you know the story and you can inhabit it as your own. All right, that's the dis- greatest dif- disinformation campaign ever. That's one. But secondly, you know, I, the reason why this is important to me is not because I want to have, you know, a bunch of real great people with, like, theology degrees. The reason I want is because there are costs to living out false falsehoods. If you believe something that's true, it, it, it is going to cost you. Like, you know, if you say, you know, I don't, I don't really know about this gravity thing. Um, I'd like to fly. And you, you climb up to the top of a building and jump off. You're going to learn very quickly that the truth matters. Right? And, and, and in, like theology, it's the same way. You be, begin to f- believe false things about God, and, and it, it costs. Right? And so I want to work our way sort of through the, the text. So Paul says very clearly, listen, I, I preach not myself. I preach Christ crucified. Right, And that, our story is built on one of two things, ultimately. And there's lots of ways that can be lived out. But ultimately, you're living out one of two things. You're either living out of your, a narrative that puts yourself at the center or a narrative that starts at the cross and Christ crucified. And self, Like, I deny myself. I take up my cross and follow him. Th- those are the only two options to live out of, only two narratives. And there's lots of ways they get worked out, but those are your two choices. Preach yourself or preach Christ crucified. And if you spend, uh, like, two seconds on, I know I'm picking on, like, social media here, but uh, but that's, I just was there too much this week. and But spend two seconds on Facebook, and all kinds of memes come out encouraging you to make yourself the, the center of your own narrative, right? Believe in yourself. Anything's possible. The future can be better than the present, right? I have the power to bring it about. These are memes I saw this week on Facebook. Love yourself. You're worth it. Here's the thing, like I'm not saying those things are total lies, right? Don't love yourself, that's terrible. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, They're 98% true. But the 2% that's that's false in that is so damaging. And ultimately, I don't think those messages fit well with with where we started in the series, which is Jesus says, if you want to do life with me, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross, you have to follow me. Like I didn't see that meme this week. Right? Like, say no to yourself this week. Deny yourself, die to yourself. I don't see those. A lot of believe in yourselves, but not a lot of die to yourselves. And I get this is confrontational. And yet, like, it's not just that this false, this false narrative that the God of this world wants us to live into um, is, is a bad theology, and that's why you shouldn't believe it. No, the reason it's bad is it doesn't work. And it just, like, it, in real life, it destroys us. And there's a couple ways, because Paul, he's just, he lives his life very differently than I think how you and I live our life. Right? There are enormous costs to living out of a false story. And Paul has a resiliency and a faith and a strength that I'm not sure is true of many people in our own culture. And, and that's because he lives out of the narrative Christ crucified. Two examples in this text. First is that, you know, all, all of these sort of me first messages or believe in yourself you can do it love yourself all of those messages want, miss one inescapable fact about all of us which is that we are actually not particularly strong or impressive we actually we're very weak we make mistakes failures often cripple us and lead us to feel enormous shame for the mistake mistakes that we make and when we look back we it's easy to begin thinking gosh given what I've done I'm just I can't God doesn't want me Right, given the mistakes I make, I've, I've made or I'm making, does God love me? Right? That, that is, we all experience that. And this week, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, he released a new album, and one of the songs is about a joke he made uh, to one of his friends in fifth grade that like ruined their relationship. Right? He's, been, he's been stewing on this for 30 years. Right? And how many of us, this week maybe even, you thought of something you did 10 or 15 years ago and you just thought, oh, I wish I could have that back. You hear the lyrics from, from that song. Uh, so I didn't see it coming, but now it's pretty clear. I traded my own wisdom for a jury of my peers. I ignored you for 30 years. Might get, like a lot of us could probably write a song that has 30 years of regret attached to it, unless you're not 30 years old yet. We all have those things. So we all doubt, like, can God use me? And I think that's why we post, I'm strong, right? Like, love my, like, that's why we post those memes, because we're trying to overcome that shame, but it's not, it doesn't work. And Paul actually goes a very different direction in verse seven. He doesn't lean away from his weakness, he leans right into it. And he says this, he says, but we, right, and, and this is ministers of the gospel in his particular vocation, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I love that because on the one hand, he says, I'm a jar of clay. And if you, you know, clay is a little bit stronger now than probably it was then. But like, that's, it's inherently fragile. It's, you know, drop it a, a few feet, it's going to break. Paul says, I'm, I'm weak, I'm fragile, I'm incomplete. And, and then he says, but that doesn't matter because the power belongs to God, not to us. And he uses this phrase, surpassing power. And the, the word surpassing there, it's, our, it's the Greek word hyperbole, which is where we get the word Hyperbole, right? It's, it's an exact God's power, it's hyperbolic. It's exaggerated, which is Paul, Paul does not live thinking about himself. He lives thinking about Christ crucified. And so when he encounters his own weakness, his own fragility, he's not beset by guilt or shame or weakness. He doesn't want to give up. He says, it's not about me. I don't preach myself. I preach Christ crucified. And so he's free in a way that I think many of us aren't. So that's one example in this text. Or the other, you know, another example, I think, is that when many of us, when we're not succeeding in life or when things aren't going well, we immediately start thinking, God, is, he's not happy with me. Maybe he's forgotten me. Right? If we're not parenting the way that we want to, if, we, if our work isn't going the way that we, we want it to go, if our life is not going the way we uh, don't want it to go, we started, I'm not succeeding. Like, does God, even, does he want to hear from me? Right? Has he forgotten me? And Paul had more reason than any of us to think of that. I mean, his life was is a wreck. And later in 2 Corinthians, he, he reflected on this. Like, he was beaten for being a pastor. He was arrested. He was shipwrecked. And then one time he was shipwrecked and then bitten by a snake, which is like, if you ever had a reason to be like, God, all right, come on, I got it. Like, you didn't, the snake was not necessary, right? The shipwreck did it, right? It's just like there's so many ways where Paul had every reason to say, God has forgotten me. And in fact, the church he's writing to here has said, you know, Paul seems like such, every time Paul starts doing stuff, there's beatings, there's arrests, right? He's getting shipwrecked. Maybe, Maybe Paul's not legit. Maybe we shouldn't listen to him. Maybe there's gotta be better pastors than that. So even the people Paul is writing to have given up on him. And Paul seems like a failure. And yet, what does Paul say in response? We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, and then my favorite, persecuted, but not forsaken. And the word forsaken there—it's not you know—it's not just forgotten. It's it's a it's a word used all throughout the Psalms. It's a word Jesus used on the cross when he said, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" This is a word of someone who's afraid God has forgotten them, abandoned them. And Paul's saying, "My life is a complete wreck, but I am not forsaken." Because he does not preach himself. He preaches Christ crucified. And so it doesn't matter the setbacks he encounters. It doesn't matter the failure he encounters. His life is not about him. Right? His life is, I preach not myself, but Christ crucified. And so really, I mean, this morning what we're trying to say with this, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to make this story your story. And those, I hope you've grabbed a series guide um, on pages 36 and 37 in that series guide to our Church for Monday series. There's lots of practical helps on um, how to, to read the Bible, different resources, different places to go. A couple of quick highlights. One is if, if reading's tough for you, there's a great video project called The Bible Project. Just Google that and go. Right, It's, it's great. They, they do great work. There. But secondly, like it's important for you to read the Bible. And here's what I would say: just start anywhere. And I'd encourage, if you've, ne- like if you've never tried to start anywhere, start with the Gospel of John. And as you read, remember, like you're not, this isn't for a test. Right? Like what we're what we're trying to do as a church is not say, all right, God's gonna give us a theological test in the end, we have to pass it. No, what we're this needs to become your story. And so just read it as if like Jesus is speaking to you. He's entering into your world, whatever you're walking through tomorrow, he's entering into that. He wants you to follow him. In that. And it's okay if you don't understand. It's okay if you don't get it. It's okay if you have questions. The first few times I read the Bible, I mean, still to this day, I'll read the Bible. I mean, even like reading that verse uh, that, that we started at this morning, it's like, what is going on here? It's it's okay. What we want you to do is make this story your story, because our hope is not that Christ community would be a place where we have the best. We all know the most facts. My, our hope is that tomorrow morning we would be a place that every person is living out of the narrative we preach, not ourselves, but Christ crucified. So there, there's a disinformation campaign going on to like try to, to get you out of this, the Bible story. Second, there's great cost when you live out a false story. And then thirdly and finally, um, the glory of living a true story. And the last three verses Paul speaks are so powerful. I just want to read them. Um, read them again. Here's what he says. Here's how he concludes this thinking about his ministry and his life of living out Christ crucified. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond our comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What Paul's saying is, is, when I look at this world, there's more than meets the eye. Right, which if this story becomes your story, like you're not, like you know that. Failure isn't, that's not really failure, right? Weakness isn't really weakness, it's the power of God, right? What you see is not what you get when you live into this story and listen like I said Paul had a rough last few years of his life when he writes this five times in his life he was lashed 39 times they took a whip they put metal bones all sorts of terrible stuff in there to to tear away your your skin 39 times he that happened to him five times three times he was beaten with rods he was stoned shipwrecked bitten by and we've been like he had a terrible time of it like, I mean, if you think your Monday is rough, like you think you're waking up, man, I got a conversation I have tomorrow or I'm not looking forward to this meeting. Like, it's better than this. And yet, Paul lived out of this story, which meant all of those things were he could do them. He could experience them. And this, to me, this raises a question where I want to end, which is, will, will the story that you're living right now, will it fail you in the end? All right, because the mark of something true is that it works anywhere. Right? Gravity, it doesn't matter where you try it, it works if you're on the earth. right? It doesn't matter. Um, the Bible story works no matter where you are. It's not a story for suckers. It's a story for the real world. It's a story for Monday. And it's true in any circumstance. It's like, it's like gravity. And that's why Paul, who has gone through enormous suffering, has a totally different outlook on it than any human being I've ever encountered. He actually says something here. That's that's unique and that's that's new because when he talks about suffering, when he says this light and momentary affliction is preparing or producing an eternal way of glory, he's saying something different than what we how we tend to talk about suffering. Because when most people talk about suffering, what, what we tend to say is that you know in this life there's suffering, but heaven will be better than this life, and if you just hold on, you'll get a better thing in the end if you go through the bad thing. Now that's not what Paul's saying. Right? Or we say, you know, like suffering in this world, it's not really that bad when you compare it to heaven and the experience. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says this, this light and momentary affliction, this suffering, it the suffering is what produces the glory. Without the suffering, you don't get the glory. In every religion, every Facebook meme, every GIF that tries to deal with suffering or deal with this life, Just puts it away, ignores it, covers it up, hides it. Just believe in yourself; it'll all work out. and, And Paul says, "Nope, that's not. That doesn't work in reality. What works in reality is Christ crucified. Like the center of our narrative is Jesus Christ going to a cross, suffering terribly. And what happened? What happened? Like the suffering produces the glory. The cross produces." The glory. And so Paul wakes up living out of that story on Monday, and he's not forsaken. He's not in despair. Everything hard, everything, every piece of suffering in his life, he looks at through the lens of the cross, and he says, There's glory on the other side of this. I'm going to, not, there's glory in spite of this, right? There's glory through this. The, the suffering prepares the glory. And I would just say, What other story takes the worst parts of our lives and gives us glory? Right? What other story takes all the difficulties of the real world of your Monday life and gives you and produces in you the honor of a king or the dignity of a queen? What other story other than Christ crucified takes suffering and produces glory? That's why this, we do not want to preach ourselves. We want to preach Christ crucified. And that's why tomorrow morning when you wake up, we hope you will live into this story. And so I think the best way to close is just to see an example of that. Someone in our congregation, um, a woman named Phyllis who goes to our downtown uh, congregation, uh, take a look at how she's living out these ideas.